You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. We all want to change the world. You're making me cut my actual head off. So, all right, you know, every once in a while you make, you make a mistake. Uh, one of the mistakes I actually made was going to LT um, and uh, doing doing uh, a thing from my past that Russ and Casey have not let me live down. You know, so I will t- I will admit that this was a couple years ago. I thought that I got this out of my system, but they've brought back a dark part of my past. Before I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I used to dabble in the dark arts, and so I have a connection to some of the dark spiritual world. And so because of that, I also have some ability to perform what you people might call magic. And so they asked if I would perform some of my magic. And so I thought I would. I thought I'd do my magic. We didn't know I was doing this, so I apologize to the media who have been working tirelessly to prepare all the videos and everything I have. Usually I have some nice mood music for this. But also, fortunately for you, I also have the ability to produce my own music. So I will just do that for you right now. So here we go. Here is some of my, my magic. Thing. There you go, there we go. It does drain my spirit a little, so if I'm a little tired, it does. It just drain, takes a little out of you. Do not try this at home. This is a Christian retreat. Now we will move towards the good part of the Lord. So, uh, I, was, I was kind of a bad kid growing up. That much is true. Uh, one of the things I used to do is I would go and sneak into movies. Has anyone ever snuck into a movie theater? Admit it now. Come on. This is, I told you we're going to purge some of the evil. That's what we're going to do. All right. You know, you go in the back. I don't know what your different methods were. I knew the movie theater that as a 10-year-old I could go, and we knew the door you could pry open, and you could get in every time, right? And so we did that for a number of years. We'd just go sneak into these movies. And I remember there was one movie I was ready to pay for. The first movie I actually wanted to pay for was the very first ever PG-13 movie. Does anyone happen to know a little trivia here? Anyone know the first ever PG-13 movie? Not Stand By Me. No, they just redid this one recently, a couple years ago. Huh? It starts with Red Dawn. Red Dawn. There you go. Good idea. All right, so Red Dawn. It was the first ever. So I was, like, excited because I was 13. So I had my, my, whatever it was, 450 at the time. It probably was, like, 275. You know, I'll tell you it was 
75 cents. Probably, you know, I'm sold. And so, but I had my money. I went and I was going to watch this movie, Red Dawn. I was like, oh, this is great. It's PG-13. I'm going to see things that I'm not supposed to see. And so the opening, the opening scene of this, thing, of this movie, keep, keep in mind, at the time, we are in the, what's called the Cold War, where the U.S. was fighting with Russia. We have all these commies, and they had nuclear missiles, and we had nuclear missiles, and we were just constantly in this fear that at any moment the entire world would end because one of us would hit a button, right? And so that was the, the backdrop. That was the world I was living in. The opening scene, it's like this elementary school room, and all these kids are sitting here, and they're studying. And, like, you know, like the one kid is looking out the window. That was always me. Looking out the window, I was like, oh, look at that. There's planes. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's lots of planes. And then, oh, people are jumping out in parachutes. And now all kids run, like, happily to the windows. Like, oh, look out these windows. And there's all these parachuters. And it was the communists. It was the Soviet Union. And and all of them had, like, submachine guns, and they just opened fire on the school as they're in the air. And the scene just goes from joyful glee to dead kids just hanging out the window. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, why am I seeing this movie? The Soviets are coming. The Soviets. And I was traumatized. I was absolutely traumatized. And so that, is, that was my first, my first uh, experience with a PG-13 movie, it'd be like they were the ISIS of today, right? The bombings. Or as a young kid, you know, they was something I was worried about. As a young kid, I was first worried about the Nazis because I saw Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and, they, and the Nazis were terrible, and their faces all melted. But God melted their faces, or at least their redemption. And here, it was the Soviet Union. These guys were terrible, and so I hated the communists, all right? Now, that is my backdrop. I, I share all that actually for a reason, um, what was the reason? No, I actually have a really good reason for you. We have the theme for that I have I prepared for this weekend is about this basketball team that happened in 1992 and was referred to as the Dream Team. They played basketball for the United States of America. But I want to give you some backstory to us. Prior, prior to the, the uh, Dream Team in 1992, the U.S. dominated, absolutely dominated Olympic sports in the basketball. Their, their record was 62-0. and 0. They never lost a game in Olympic play since they actually introduced basketball into it. In 1972, they were playing, and they had this terrible loss where they were playing in the final game for the, for the gold, and they were playing against Russia. Oh, yes, the commies. And so it was down to this last, this last play, and we were winning, and we were up, and we needed to stop them, and we, and we have this crazy play, and we stopped them, and they were all celebrating, but then they said, oh, there was something wrong where the clock never started, so they restarted it again, and so then they have this other thing, and we stopped them again, they're celebrating, they're like, they have another thing where they say, oh, no, we have to do it one more time, and like, what? And then before even when he blows the whistle, the one ref gives it to the guy, passes it in, the Soviets score, and they let it stand. And the Soviets literally stole gold for us. And we were like, oh, my gosh. And our team refused to go to the podium. They did not receive one of their silver medals. They were not going to do this. We protested it, but it was never given to us. And so to this day, not one member of that team has ever received their silver medal from that Olympic sport. They refused to it because we've earned the gold and they thought it was stole. 1980 now, right? We're going in here, and they were gonna, we were wanting to come back, and we were going to win. We want to be able to, we want to win this back, this gold medal that we were supposed to have. And what had happened was, at that time, Moscow, the Russians had invaded some of those countries, and so the U.S. led a number of countries to protest these games. And so we never actually went to those games. Why? Because they were being held in Moscow. Four years later, guess where the... Guess where the Olympics were being held? No, the United States. That was a good guess. It was a very good guess. It was the right hemisphere. Good idea. And so they're, in, they're going to be in L.A. In the, and so the Russians, in, in revolt to what we had done and led, they refused to come play. 
1984, 1988, they're going to have this college team. Finally, we're going to play. David Robinson is this stud player in college, and we were going to go play on him. David, David Robinson leads this team through the 1988 Olympics. Remember, we never we lost one game ever in our entire history, and it was on a fluke. It was stolen from us. We lose one game to the Russians. Oh, we lost to the Russians. They go and they play for the gold and the silver. We came home with the bronze. It was terrible. We had not gotten our chance to do this. And so it's 1988. We have been waiting. We've been waiting since 1972 to get back at the Russians. You know, we have to come after those communists, and we're just waiting. And one of the, one of the problems that, we'd, that you'd seen in Olympic sports at the time, particularly in basketball, is there were only a couple of countries that were allowed to actually send professionals, that they did not allow professional players from North America to go play. So because we had the NBA and we had professional basketball players, our very best weren't going. And so that was one of the, the things that we would always fight about, whether we should be able to send our best. And so finally, the Olympics, they changed their, they changed their stance, and now we are going to get a chance to send our very best. And, you know, you got the backdrop, right, that we've been wanting to win this gold. We've needed to do this. And so in 1992, they go to Rob Thorne, the commissioner of basketball, and says, you build our NBA team, or from the NBA, you go build a team for the Olympics. And so around that, if you're ever sports, a fan of basketball in the late 80s, early 90s, greatest player then and still till to this day, Michael Jordan, first call he does, Rob Thorne, picks up. Hey, Michael, you heard the news, right? We can send NBA players. They're going to go play. Would you go play? Well, Michael had already gone as a college player. He wasn't really sure who was going to be on this team. And so he's like, oh, man, how do I graciously, you know, say no? I don't want to get stuck with all this pressure. And so he's like, I don't really know. Why don't you go see who else? Give me a call back. Figure out who else is on the team. And like, oh, my gosh. So Thorne's like, this is crazy. We, we have to have our best. This is our best player. We don't have Michael. So who is he called next at the time? He goes and calls Magic Johnson, who had been, like, the, one of the other best players playing at the time. Magic had been reigning, playing for L.A. Lakers, calls Magic. And Magic is like, here's his rationale. He's like, he hears he's the first one. He's like, here's my rationale. If I jump in and I say yes, the other best players will jump in, too. All right, so he's like, sure, sign me up. Let everybody you call know that I'm in. And so he gets Magic Johnson in there. So then after that, he gets him. He calls his counterpart, the one he fought back forth. There was a West Coast of the L.A. to the Boston Celtics. Who was that? Larry Bird calls Bird up. Bird, here's the chance. These two, they were probably in their last year of play. Bird's like, oh, this will be awesome. Yes, let's go play. And so Bird signs up. And so we have Larry Bird. We have Magic Johnson. These two were going to go. Then he calls David Robinson, who'd gone back, who had been a part of that loss that where they was so disappointing. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm bringing it back to those commies. All right, and so he does it. He calls Patrick Ewing on the Knicks. He added one more tandem from Utah Jazz. There's John Stockton and Carl Malone, who was one of the great Florida. That team is doing it, but they still didn't have Matt um, Jordan. So they call up Scottie Pippen, who is his teammate, who had already gone and played and won some championship with Jordan. Scotty didn't even think he belonged on the team. He was like, you know, I just write his coattails. But he's like, yep, sure, I'm in. He didn't let him know that. So they get Scotty in. They get Chris Mullen of the Golden State Warriors. And then they wanted Charles Barkley. Now, everyone watches ESPN. Knows, everyone knows Charles Barkley, right? He's the mouth. You know, he says all, flies off and says everything. He imagined him when he was younger. And he's just, you know, full of all this energy. He was just crazy. He had all these antics off the court. He had antics on the court. But he was this awesome power forward. So we really want him, but we're not really so sure. So they actually talked to him a little first. Like, we're thinking about asking you, but we just want to know what we're going to get. Charles was so flattered that he even thought of him to be on this team. He was like, oh, that is so honoring. 
that is so amazing, Mr. Commissioner. I'm so honored by this. And he's literally just won him over with charm that he's like, uh, he's this guy. He's thinking a problem. So they add Charles Bar- Barkley in it. And before you know, they have this incredible team. They have nine of the best in the NBA. And so go, they go back to Michael and say, Michael, let me list off the nine players that we got. And he's, Michael sees this team and he says, this is an amazing team. And so Michael's like, I'm absolutely in. And now it could really be awesome. They add Clyde Drexel from Portland, and then they, had to, they decided to save one spot for a college player because historically it's kind of like an O. They've always sent just college players. And so the tap, instead of going to Shaquille O'Neal at the time, they went to Christian Leitner of the Blue, uh, uh, Duke, the Blue Devils. Um, there's a great 30 for 30 that I fully agree with. That it's called Why I Hate Christian Leitner. I hate Christian Leitner. So I'll just tell you that. And so he didn't really belong on the team, but he was on. He got the spot. And so the next four talks, what we're going to do is we're going to use this team as an image, as an imagery for us that we can learn a little bit and learn from this team. I want to be able to educate you. You don't need to know much about basketball. I have some good documentary clips that we're going to be able to see. But what the... What this team is going to represent, though this was the dream team that had their prize that they were going after. It was a team of legend. They had what they were up against. The real dream team that we're going to compare this to is the ultimate dream team, which is the Church of Jesus Christ. Right? The church is the dream team. That is that team. And so what we're going to do, um, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, the scripture we'll be going is going to be up on there. We are going to go, uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to stay. And so we're going to start in, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 1. All right? And so we're going to look at, as Paul is writing to this church that he had started, that he had planted, and he had started this church, and he's writing back to them. And so it starts like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Paul. He is one who started this. He's with Timothy, who was with him when he went and started. He's like, look, I'm writing back to you guys, to all of those. Tim was his guy that he had, he had meant a great deal to Paul. He was like his little protege. He was his, one of his dearest friends. And so here's Paul and Timothy writing, and they're, they're writing back to this, to this, this church. Tim had come from a, uh, a, mixed, uh, a mixed background. Uh, his mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek. His mother became a Christian. Um, and then Tim was in this church that, bought, that Paul had visited and then ministered. And then he joins Paul. And he's been going on all these travels with him. So they'd started this. And then he, they'd since left together. And now they're writing back. And look, at, they're writing back to this church. And this is one of the things that, they, that first comes to mind. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, making my prayers with joy, making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so here they are. These are the two that represent partnership. And they're, saying, they're writing back and they're like, anytime we pray for you, we remember you, there's always this thing of joy that we have every time we think of this church. We love our time in this church. All right, picture this. Like picture one day that you will have left and you moved on, and you can come back and be thinking through, oh, I remember all those, that time that I had in I life. Oh, I remember when I met Casey in, those, in that cafeteria. Oh, those were sweet times. This is what Paul and Timothy are saying. We remember such joy of, of all of our times with you. But they, what was one of the first things that was the reason, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul and Timothy had this partnership, and they said, all of the saints, all of you, 
All the saints together with the overseers and the deacons. Not just the leaders, every person. This entire team that was the church, we feel like we have this incredible partnership and it fills us with joy. When you read the book of Philippians, it's one of the theme words. Just, it is a book of joy. You just see Paul's absolute elation when he thinks of him. And so he's thinking, of, why is that? Because he thinks of this church as like a dream team. He thinks of it as like, oh, this is this glorious team that he was a part of. And so tonight I have one point, but it's going to slowly evolve a little. And it starts like this, that, that we're going to talk tonight about the challenge of the church. The challenge of the church is this, to joyfully be on God's team. That we are to joyfully be on God's team. God has this team, and he says, I'm starting this team, and it's going to be the church. Not just one church, it's the church universal that covers the entire globe. And our challenge of the, of the church is to joyfully be on this team. Like Paul, to joyfully have this elation, the spirit, that we, when we think of this as a partnership. Not only a partnership with God, but a partnership with others, with other church leaders, with other churches. And so here's Paul, he's starting that. He's like, from the first day until now, I always think of this. And then he, and then he carries and he continues on. And he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Oh, it's such an encouraging letter. Picture docility. I mean, he's writing this out, and it's this, this personal letter. letter. It wasn't just something that's just somewhere that you have to look in the index and figure out where it is in this Bible. This is a letter. They, oh, this is from Paul. Oh, and look, it says Timothy was with him. Oh, guys, and they're all gathering around. And you read these words, and you would just, you would just feel that joy. And you would feel that, but he says, look, I start with this, and he says, it is right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. It is, it's good. But in 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That he who began this good work. I was there. I started this church. I, was, I, kept, I have all the early memories with you. And God is going to keep on working because the part of, the, of being in the church, it doesn't just happen. This type of love and this affection doesn't just happen. It takes a work. And God started it, and he's going to keep on there. But there is a part that we need to do. He's, he's asking, he's praying that they will actually attain even greater knowledge and greater affection. And that's one of our first evolutions of our point, is not only are we joyfully be on God's team, but we need to joyfully strive to be on God's team. We need to make some effort. There is a work that is happening that God is doing in the church. And he, does it in, he works in every church. This is his people. This is his team. All right? He's built it. But... As being part, if you want to be a part of that team and see what it's like, you need to make some effort. You need to joyfully strive. You have to begin a work. And it has to take some intentionality, right? Who just haphazardly just decides, you know what? I think I'm going to write an essay for that psych class. I know it's not assigned, and they're probably not expecting one, but I'm just going to haphazardly start some work. No. Like, who does that? You don't do that. You have to intentionally decide, all right, here's some work. There's a purpose to it. We don't just haphazardly get into it. God didn't haphazardly do this and this work in, in you, in this church, in his team. He's going to keep on working, but we need to be able to still realize that if God is at work, he actually does expect us to do something. 
He's cooperating. He wants us to cooperate with this. And Paul knows this because he knows these people. Like he knows all, it's not just this one letter. He has faces in mind and names. And he has sweet memories of times that he was with them. And it really kind of can change how you see a letter in the Bible. Because he thinks about all those times that he was just, they were having sweet times of worship, and then afterwards they're hanging out and having coffee and donuts, right? And I don't know what you guys do at iLife, but it's like one of the things that I'm always impressed by when I interact with your staff and when I come and I see this church is just the love and the affection of the staff team and how genuine they are. And it's just like, just these, these they're, they're just like goofballs. And you're like, oh, I love the goofballs. And then they're serious, and you're like, oh, I love how serious you are for the guy. I mean, they were just so genuine. And, and maybe you, you haven't experienced that yet in this church. Well, then change it. But I'm, I'm, I think it probably is it's true that even already here as I've been meeting people, it's like oh, people are coming up and like, hey, I haven't introduced you. I'm like, this is awesome. Students are just walking up to me and just that's, that's genuine affection. That is what it is. That's the joy. But keep working at it. You have to make an effort. And that's what Paul is, is trying to get at with them. All right, so look where he, and then where he goes. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened? Dun, dun, dun. We don't know. You know, <laughs> you know what's going on here. But uh, so that it, what is, had happened is he was, he's, in, he's in prison. He's been arrested. He's thrown in. He's in chains. So he said, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All right, and so it's just, he's saying he's captured this other truth. He's like, I want you to know, although I'm in prison, I'm in chains, I'm around these, these guards right now, it's good. It's going on. It's actually something that's really good about the dream team, you know, and, and it's, not that, it's not that bad. I can see that, that good things are happening. He sees the optimism. And here's our next evolution of our, of our first point, is not only we joyfully strive to be on God's team, but we need to joyfully, joyfully strive to overcome the challenges to be on God's team. Because God's team is at work in a, in a world that's broken. And if you don't know what I mean by broken, I just don't, I picture it like we're in this world and we're born in this world. And if you just walk through this world and you live your life, it's like the way I always feel, I feel like I just get this sludge of gross, vile yuck that just gets on me and it just sticks on me. And it's just how the world is. And it's just like, Ugh. And there's this broken world. And, and then you find a church and you're trying to be on a team that's working for God. But we still have to fight against the yuck and all this that's out there. And the church is going to be opposed. The church, we know we're going to get opposed. We're going to get opposed by the world. We're going to be opposed by, by uh, our, our enemy, the devil. We're going to be opposed by ourselves and our own sins. There's going to come opposition. And if you're part of this team, you're going to find times where you're thinking, oh, this is great. We have these great plans. And then opposition is going to come. Like I think of this one story when we were really early back when I was at Michigan, Go Blue, um, when I was back in Michigan and we were just really restarting that church. It was really small. And we thought we're going to do this big, huge outreach service. And so we had lined up all these bands and we paid for multiple bands to come in and do this battle of the band. And we were doing all this promotion for a whole month. And we were doing outreach and we had started some small group discussions, all gearing up to this one night that was going to be in this cafeteria in this one dorm which all our outreach was going. We were so excited about it. And so we are sitting here and we're getting ready for this and we get this call from the director of that dorm complex and she has us come in. So me and my pastor at the time, we go, we walk in, we meet with this woman who is over at the AD and she's like, I have some bad news. Uh, you can't use that cafeteria. I'm like, wait, what? Like that, I think it was like that night. 
They're like, this is like tonight. We've been working on this thing for a month. We have all this money invested. Like all these, like, I'm sorry, my hands are tied. It's not even my decision. This is just, you're not going to have to do this. And so I don't want you in here arguing anymore. There's just nothing we can do. You can't have it. You're going to have to figure something else out. All right. And then you kick out of office. And so we walk out and we're so discouraged. So absolute discouraged. We're part of this church. We're part of God's team. How is this happening? We had to put in all this faithful labor. This is a great plan. We have a battle of bands. We have three. You know, this is going to be really cool. Why would God do this? We have snacks even. We have multimedia. Multimedia was going to happen. It was like, it was like Bill and Ted's. Uh, it was like Beavis and Butthead. It was like back in the day. It was high tech, okay? But we didn't even have a room. So what are we going to do? So I don't, we're just sitting here. I was like, well, gosh, what, what would God's people do? And for whatever reason, we were thinking of the story of Jericho when the God's people came in Jericho and they had this huge, this huge city and they were like overwhelmed. They had to start fighting all these other people. And the first, in the, for Jericho, God has them walk around Jericho all around it for seven days. And then the last day they walk around it seven times and the walls all fall in and they go and they storm, they take it. And we're like, Let's just walk around the dorm. And it was a huge thing. We're like, okay. That's a great idea. And I'm like, what are we going to do? I was like, well, let's pray. I'm like, well, let's, let's get better. All right. So, so we start walking around. So we literally walk around this giant dorm complex seven times praying the entire time. And I'm like, all right, that was seven. We got back to where we started, where we came up with this great idea. It was like, now what? And we're like, I don't know. Let's. Let's go inside. And we're like, okay. <laughs> you know, I guess that's what they did, right? The, the walls didn't come down. We go inside, and we walk in, and we're in this lobby. And we're like, well, I guess we can go down to her office. And her office is down, like, one of these infamous long you know, corridors that you see in these dorm complexes. We look down this corridor, and I kid you not, this woman is running down the hallway in her heels and a skirt going, it's you guys, there you are, there you are. And she's just running and flailing and screaming at us like, did she see us walking around? Did she, what, you know, like, is that against the law too? And she's like, oh, she comes around and she's like, you're not going to believe this. I just got a call. You're approved. You have the room. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. But you're going to see opposition. It's going to happen. And sometimes though, God's going to come through because you're on his team. And that's where Paul is. He's like, hey, most of these, it's, it's, I'm, look at this. He's saying, most of these brothers, they become confident by my imprisonment. They're being bold. They're speaking the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The later do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking it to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. And it didn't matter that he saw opposition, that some people were having a hard time with it, that it was going to take an advantage. He's like, I'm here for the gospel. I'm here for God's kingdom. I am going to rejoice in this, no matter what. And it was amazing. And he saw the, the, the challenges that came against the church as ones that you can rejoice over. But here's our last evolution. And this is where you actually you see some of it in these last verses. And this is where it starts to become a little more personal. Because not only are we to joyfully strive to overcome challenges, we're to joyfully strive to overcome your challenges to be on God's team. We have to joyfully strive to overcome our challenges. You, You see it in here, right? That we all are going to bring our own challenges to be on this team, to be a part of what God is doing. I think of it in my story. When I when I first got involved, I had called a cute girl in a calculus class and asked her on a date. 
she turned me my world upside down and said, hey, I can't go on a date with you, but would you rather go to this small group with my church? I was like, what? But it was a cute girl asking me to something. I was like, instinct just said you say yes. And so I said yes, and I went. And my buddy, you ever have that? You ever have that where your buddy just eggs you on to make a call, and he's sitting here the whole time, and he's just listening in. So I hang up the phone, and he's like, "What was that?" I'm like, "I think I'm going to church." And he just starts laughing, just laughing. I'm like, "But she's cute," <laughs> and she asked me. I was like, "He's like, ah, that's not a date. You're going to church." I'm like, "I know." I know, but see, because I had all this baggage. I, my friends, what we would do, like we would get together, and we'd fill a bathtub with gin and bob for apples. That's what we would do, you know. And then so I go to this party thing that she invites me to, and it's a Christmas party. And this guy is dressed as Santa, and this other guy is dressed as an elf, and they start playing charades. And then one of the elf sits on Santa's lap, and they read, "It's a Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown." And I'm like, "Where am I?" I was in a completely different world. <laughs> but, but get, get me, don't, don't lose this. I start talking to them, and it's just like here. The people are coming up to me, and they're talking like, hey, what's your name? And they're, they're genuine, and they have interest in me. And I would go to my parties, and I'm like thinking, wait, I have a party tonight that's, I'm going to this one first, and would they even notice if I ever show up? My friends I've been partying with for a year and a half, and yet these people that I just met, they have something. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. They have something, and it's what I need. And I didn't even know what I needed. Like, I couldn't put my finger on that. But I knew I had a need, a massive need, and I knew that they had something that could, that could fix it, that they didn't seem to have it. And the, the circles I was running with didn't have it either. And I just had to figure this out. I had to. And so I kept going back to church even though I felt like a complete outsider. I showed up and they're all, like, all wearing polo shirts. I'm like, I don't even own a polo shirt. This was the day of 90s. Like everything I had had holes upon holes. All right, it was like complete grunge. I had long hair and pierced ears and everyone just looked at me like, uh, where are you looking? I'm like, I'm coming here. Like you're coming to our meeting? You know, I was like, yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm just as surprised as you that I'm here. <laughs> but I'm trying to figure this out. And the message that I realized is that when we say we have to overcome our challenges, what I really had to realize is my biggest challenge was sin. My biggest challenge was I just kept messing up, and I would mess up, and I just didn't, did not want to admit that I was messed up, and I would get in the way. And it was one of these, these giant, giant problems that I had had, and sin became my issue, and I had to figure out what it is. And that's what this, what this gospel is that he's defending, this good news, that you have a massive problem. You have this sin that's in the way, and there is a way that you can get rid of this massive challenge. And then it's that slime and that gook. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes it all on the cross. And he says, I will take this. And now you're white and you're clean. And you don't have to do anything except believe and have faith that that's who he is. And it is. You're like, wow, I'm clean. But here's the reality. Once you place your faith in Christ, we still have our thinking. And we still walk through this world. And we're still swayed by it. And it kind of still lingers, right? They ever been completely drenched in, like, swamp mess? You're still going to smell of it. You still are, it still sticks to you. And then you, like, you go and you make friends. And you're like, Ugh. that's gross, right? That feels like, why? Stop touching me. You don't even know. You sat in the front row, man. <laughs> but that's what happens. We all have these challenges. And we're going to talk this weekend about being on this team. 
but you bring these challenges to it. And so I told you we're going to have, we're going to have these clips, right? But I want to show you in that verse that we just looked at. Look at that where we see some of these personal ones. It says, most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by me in prison. Most of them were good, but some indeed preached Christ from envy and rival. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. That even within the midst of this church, people are using the challenges of the church to proclaim their own agenda. Because they're bringing their own sin and their challenges. And we all have that. And this dream team is great for this. Because you go and they get the best team. We are part of the best team. God's assembling the best team on the planet. But we all still bring our own challenges to it. And that's what this team does. Now, I will admit, I realize that there are some small kids. There were some small kids in the, in the, on the audience. There is an H word and there is a D word. These are very bad words. We do not say these. But this is illustrating a point for the God. And so I want you to overlook them. You too. You too, okay? And so this is the first, uh, this is the, uh, this is the first clip where, of the documentary, and this, you can look at their egos hitting this one. Training camp began on June 22, 1992, in La Jolla, California. And when the gym doors opened, no one was quite sure what to expect, especially the players themselves. It's a lot of egos in one gym and on one team. Everybody wanted their form to shine and showcase why they were a part of this team. With all these stars on the team, if it comes down to the last shot, who's going to take the shot? Me. Me. Everybody in the world has an ego. The only difference between us, we have a reason to have an ego. <laughs> Every one of us felt like we was a Everybody. And when practice started that first day, every player seemed to be trying to prove just how great they were. It was a very competitive practice. And I'm thinking, aren't we all on the same team? Patrick, go, I don't want to play with David. I don't want to play against him. And you hear Michael say, I don't want to be on Magic's team. I want to play against him. Every evaluation of Michael Jordan at that time was, he's good, but he's never Magic Johnson. In my competitive nature, I want to use every little bit that I could gather so that I can gain an advantage. Carl Malone, he's the only guy I would even compare to myself at the power forward position. So I want to prove that I was the best power forward in the world. Charles, yeah, he's a great talent. Do I think he's better than me? Hell no. So let's do this. By the time this over with, you're going to be thinking I'm damn good too. First practice, Barkley drives baseline, and Carl Malone jumps up like this. Barkley just dunked on him so hard. It was just an unbelievable play. I felt like, man, I cannot believe that I'm part of this practice. I can't believe it either. He did not belong on that team. That is... <laughs> All right. All right, so you see it, right? And it makes sense. You got all these great players, this greatness. You put it all together, and their egos. And you just see it in those, in those interviews of how they're, you can see it in the, in, the, in the video of game one of them trying to be this team. And here's the lesson that, I mean, it's for us. We look at this, and we think, oh, well, that's this dream team. It's only basketball. That's not true. It happens in the church. And it's happening in every church. Because there's never a, a perfect church. Every church is broken and messed up because they're full of broken and messed up people. Redeemed by Jesus and saved by grace. Absolutely. But you get in the way of your greatest success. Your greatest moments, your greatest relationships. One of the things that gets in the way is you. And it's easy for us to point the finger 
and go, oh, yeah, it's them. But, you know, it's you. We each have this. I know it. I know it because I saw it before we came to become a Christian and afterwards. The part of me that still manipulated my friends to get, get his way, yes, Jesus saved me from all those wrong doings, but I still want to manipulate people. I want to still use my force of will. When someone brings up my fault, I'm like, what do you mean? And I get defensive. All right, I want to steamroll people. I, I, there's all these things that I still do. My selfishness still gets in the way. My desire for pleasure still gets in the way. My discontentment still drives me to do things. It's like, it's just crazy. And it's still the same for all of us. That we still are the ones. But we exhort you to go back. We've got to go back to that message over and over and over again that we can rejoice in what? What did Paul really rejoice in? He wasn't rejoicing that they're going out with their selfish ambition and trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to push him down. He's rejoicing that the good news is being preached. Because we need to hear that good news over and over and over again that that muck gut has been taken away, that sin problem is taken away, but we're going to still keep bringing it to our team. Look, it's like even Paul wrestled with this. And if you want, you can spend a little more time just dissecting this. There's a lot here, but I want to read through it and just you just see that Paul starts wrestling. What then? Only in every way, whether in, pre- in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Well, I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but will have full courage now as always. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And yet... Which I should choose, I cannot tell. He's trying to figure out, do I stay and go through all this, or do I die and be with Jesus? It's going to be great to be with Jesus. But it's not only that he doesn't want to be with Jesus, he realizes that this church is still broken too. I'm hard-pressed between the two, for my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. (laughs) Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And it's like, he's, it's just awesome that he just says, I'm going to stay. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be in here. But I, I know that the church is broken. Man, it would be so good to flee from this. Even Paul, he's the leader. He'd start this. I would love to get rid of all this. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He embraces it. He embraces, he even embraces the fact that they were messing it up. Instead of people coming and showing concern for them, they're using it for their own, their own benefit, to make their own name. You know, it's like Paul's on sabbatical, all right? And let's say there was a guy who was on sabbatical, okay? And then, and then, then, and then everyone else says, ha-ha, here's my chance. All right, we're gonna, this is what we're going to do. Wayne Wager, who? All the new people are like, who is this guy? There's a guy who works here who like, this church is very indebted to that none of you know about. And it's like, what if they just said, ah, we erase Wayne from everything. And it's like, ah, we're going to do all this stuff. And the Wayne, Wayne could be like, what the heck is going on? Fred? <laughs> I thought you were a good guy. <laughs> you thought wrong, Wayne. <laughs> Enjoy those chains. You know, that's what's going on here. All right? That's what is exactly going on. It's just the names have changed and the time. You know, um, that's not what's going on here with Fred and Wayne. I meant in the gospel, in the book here. But Paul, his attitude is like, it doesn't really matter. I understand there's brokenness. But he was okay with living it. He's okay with accepting his and his own problems with joy. And it's one of those things, it's great. And here's some of the questions that we can walk away from tonight with is we're going to all have challenges. We're going to look more at a team, but here are the things you can be thinking through. You have a challenge. You bring stuff. How do you embrace your failure, your limitations, 
your hindrance to team. Do you realize that even in your strengths, that every person with their strengths, you bring a hindrance to your team? Every team that you're on, not only are you bringing a strength, but you bring a liability. How do you embrace that? What are you doing about it? Are you okay with it? Some people don't even get on the team. They don't strive to get on the team because they're so afraid that people are going to see their failures or their brokenness or smell the slime or it's going to get all over. And like, oh, he's like, don't do that again. You know, <laughs> they're so afraid of that. But it's, here's the reality. We all have it. All of us do. We all have these challenges. And here's the, where you need, what you need to see. You need to see this about these challenges. Look, in, in, in here in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving, there's that striving, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel and not frightening in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should also suffer. Those challenges, those things that you want to avoid, you think, oh, this come from? It's the broken slime. It's me. I'm messed up. People are going to discover this. You know where you got it? From God. He allows us to have our challenges and to bring them to the team because he also realizes that you're bringing strengths, but he has to overcome them. And God masterfully brings us to the point where we're ready to listen to his truth. And I've been praying for weeks that tonight he would be working in every person here that you're ready to listen to the truth that despite that challenge, that brokenness that you bring, he is way bigger and he still wants you on the team. 